So when we are owning our confidence, it's about recognizing the value we have as being a person of spirit, a person of reality, a person of truth. And that's unshakable. Welcome to X-Files Podcast, a podcast about breakups, broken hearts, and moving on. I'm Janice Formicella, a breakup coach passionate about supporting others to heal from their breakups, overcome loneliness, love being single, and see the end of a relationship as the beginning of a magical new chapter in life. I am here each week to share with you the tools that I have learned through my own painful breakups, through hitting rock bottom more than once, and through working with people all around the world to heal their broken hearts. If you are looking for hope and strength to move on from your breakup and resources to enjoy your new single life, you are in the right place and I've got your back. Hi, everybody, and welcome to X-Files podcast, and welcome for the very first time, my friend, Barry. Hello. Hi. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Thank you. We've been friends for a while now, and it's never fully come together for you to come on the show. And then I was talking in our networking group the other day about this idea that I had about Maslow's, and I guess before we go any farther, is it Maslow's, Maslow's, as an Englishman, how would you like to pronounce it for the show today? <laughs> I'm no expert on that labeling. <laughs> I think I'm using more the American term, so Maslow's. Maslow's hierarchy yeah, of needs in dating. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. <laughs> okay. Well, you know, the world can forgive us if we just slaughter it. Everyone's going to know what we're referring to, right? <laughs> well, so welcome. Can you give everybody a little introduction? I'm so stoked to have you here. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah. Um, so my name is Barry Selby, as you may have already heard. I'm a love and relationship expert and inspirational speaker, um, best-selling author, new podcaster myself, um, spiritual guide, and a passionate devotee of serving the feminine. I'm also helping men learn how to open their hearts without giving up their balls. So that's all. That's, that's the short version of what I do. <laughs> Sounds good to me. My God. Well, let's give you a little opportunity to plug your new podcast. Where can we find you? What is it about? Tell us everything. Podcast is called Relationship Mastery. And my friend Dell, A.D. Jones and myself had this idea back in last year. And she she's the one, she's the driving force. I'm like, I'm along for the ride in a way, but I love it because she's really on it. <laughs> it was funny because she's Welsh and I'm English. We both live in the States for many years. So we have this, oh. this mid-Atlantic accent, which is something fun on the show. And we started out because she wants to talk about her own journey through narcissism, her mother and her ex-husband. And I want to talk about codependency. And we thought, yeah, these aren't exactly like topics. Let's go deep and have a good conversation. Mm -hmm. So we launched the podcast back in, in early March. We've had we launched with 10, 10 episodes up front so people could binge and then doing one a week after that. And it's on all the platforms. And it's a fresh new podcast people can listen to. Wonderful. So say that again, the title? Relationship Mastery. 
Awesome. Everybody go and follow Relationship <laughs> Mastery. And that is because that's one of the most useful things that you can do for a new podcast is to give it a follow. So go over there and I'll give my own shameless self plug. If what you hear today resonates with you, if you push play today because you are struggling with a breakup, please hit me up on Instagram. I would love to talk to you about one-on-one support and helping you get through this. 2023 can be yours still to claim. We're just coming into spring. And if you feel weighed down by a breakup, like now is the time to make it happen put it behind you and grab the rest of the year by the reins. Awesome. <laughs> All right, let's get into this. So why are we talking about Maslow's hierarchy of needs? <laughs> well, I kind of got this idea because as a breakup coach, so often we talk about needs, wants, and desires, but what are our needs? And I feel that Maslow's hierarchy of needs has really like kind of stood the test of time in that, as I think we're going to discuss he developed it in 1943, and it is still showing up everywhere today. And so I thought it would at least be a good framework to talk about how to identify your needs after a breakup, how to identify your needs as you approach new relationships, how to identify your needs as you enter a relationship. I also think that people haven't necessarily applied this framework to their relationship patterns. So it's going to be interesting to bring it together for people who've never heard this before. As I was studying uh, in preparation for the episode, I actually learned a lot of new things. And that is that some of these needs are things that you provide for yourself. Some of these needs are things that you can potentially outsource, so to speak. Um, But some of them are things that you try to avoid. Some of them are things that you try to bring in. And you have an interest in this. And so I thought it would be a good episode for us to start with. Sounds like fun. I'm ready for this. All right, let's do it. So before we dive into Maslow's hierarchy of needs in dating and relationships, let's talk about how we got here to begin with. Let's talk about the history behind this, Mm -hmm. which I don't think everybody knows. I found a good definition from the Corporate Financial Institute, and it says, Maslow's hierarchy of needs is a theory of psychology explaining human motivation based on the pursuit of different levels of needs. The theory states that humans are motivated to fulfill their needs in a hierarchical order. This order begins with the most basic needs before moving on to advanced needs. I love this. The ultimate goal, according to this theory, is to reach the fifth level of the hierarchy, self-actualization. So Mm -hmm. is the goal that we're all going to become Buddha on the mountain? (laughs) No, excuse me, that's enlightenment, right? Right. The theory was first developed by Abraham Maslow and outlined in his 1943 paper, A Theory on Human Motivation, which I actually read quite a bit of that and Mm -hmm. found it uh, very dense and a little boring, but riveting at the same time, just because this is something that we've all heard about so much growing up. And so to actually be reading the original paper, I enjoyed. What about you? Do you have any background like with this concept? When did you first hear about it? Going through my own psychological background and studies, I definitely have seen how it overlays and fits into how we evolved, how we grow as human beings. So it's always been something that I'm aware of. But then looking at it as being the interface or being as the um, bridge between relationship partners in a way, when yeah. I start seeing how it gets together so easily, I was like, oh, my God, this is just this is so much fun. Let's talk about this. So I'm grateful that you've brought this topic up because I hadn't thought about it that way until you suggested it. I'm grateful as well. 
So nice. don't look, Barry. What okay. are the five needs as <laughs> outlined by Maslow in 1943? Well, I know the base level is physiologi- physiological, which basically is like foundational, like water, yep. food, shelter, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, boy. So we're, go- we're looking at physiological, safety, love and belonging, esteem, and self-actualization. Yeah. These are still the needs most commonly referenced, But because I like to talk about science and history on this show, I thought it would be interesting to point out that Maslow updated the concept in 1970. Did you know that? Yes. Cognitive and aesthetic needs before self-actualization and then transcendence above it. Yeah. So these are not referenced very often, but by the end of his career and damn, what was that? 30, almost 40 years later, he updated this. Yeah. No, I'm sorry. I'm really bad at math. So 30, 30, 30 years, 40s and 70s. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so, but for the purposes of this episode, we're just going to talk about the first five, which are also what people most commonly reference. And by yes. the way, did you know that although you will look up Maslow's hierarchy of needs and everywhere you're going to see a pyramid, he did not ever put it in a pyramid. Mm-hmm. This was the world that did this, did this yeah. to his concept. I wanted to hear your insights on this. In Maslow's original paper, he cites two different types of needs, deficiency and growth. Mm-hmm. The deficiency needs are physiological, security, social, and esteem. They arise due to deprivation. Satisfying these lower level needs is important to avoid unpleasant feelings or consequences. On the other hand, growth needs, um, which are at the top of the pyramid, these needs don't stem from a lack of something, but rather from a desire to grow as a person. What do you think about that? I think it's true because, to be honest, most people never never even get close to the growth ones. They're always in the ones that are more lacking, the ones they feel they've got to fix. That's why people go and get jobs and buy houses. It's basically because they feel like they've got to create the structures of safety to feel like they're okay. And then out of that, a small part of the population will go, what can I do with this? Like, what, what can I become because of that? And that's one of the things I think is so important to talk about, even though it's the smallest amount of space on the pyramid that we talk about, it really is the most important one for me because the basic levels of those depri- deprivation needs are the ones that needs that being fulfilled just to survive because they really are kind of the survival thing, how to feel good, are just maintenance to me. Once you got those down, then it's time to really do the deep work, which is evolutionary and growth. I mean, I've been involved in the growth journey for, uh, well, next year will be 40 years. I've been doing seminars and workshops. So growth is definitely part of my passion, my love, and my work. Yeah. But the thing is, so many people don't do that. Mm, Oh, I know. I think that you can meet someone who's always talking about the voids in their life and always working to overcome something. Victim mentality, for instance. I got excited about this aspect of Maslow's hierarchy of needs because I resonated with it. I had a number of years back when I was in Australia, you know, a lot lot about my journey. And I was really prevented... I I didn't know this at the time, but I found it very, very hard to form meaningful relationships. And looking back, it's so obvious to me that it's because I lacked any self-reliance whatsoever. I was completely reliant or completely wishing for things outside of myself to fix my problems, you know, even financially. I mean, 
the bare minimum in life, but something that a lot of women don't ever fully get to is financial independence and money mastery and this type of thing. And it was something that I didn't have for so many years. I didn't have my own apartment. I was just running from one chaotic event in my life to another. And it was when I decided I can't continue to hit rock bottom forever. I decided I want to wake up someday and not be reliant on anything or anyone else to get through the day, get through the week, pay my rent, anything. Mm -hmm. And it was so transformative for me. And it took me four years of really getting to the point where I thought I was there. I mean, in all honesty, I was there sooner than that. I mean, I was, you know, for instance, paying my own rent sooner than four years, thank God. Um, But it was like more of a mental thing as well. And once I finally thought like I'm there, there, the amount of abundance I attracted, the wonderful people I attracted, my ability to show up for friends, lovers, et cetera, was completely different than it had been before. Oh, yeah. Well, one of the things I want to speak to, because when you said that, what hit me, because evolutionally speaking, you know, women didn't have their own bank accounts to 1971. Didn't have credit cards until. I appreciate you saying this because it's such a, it's a sore spot for me and something I'm ashamed of, but. I mean, certainly our parents' generation, women didn't have the freedoms that most women do nowadays. And some women have not yet really got it cognitively because they're so trained in that culture. They're raised by their mothers and thought they had to find a man to take care of them because that was the way it was wired, you know, 60, 70 years ago. Well, it's how I was raised. You know, I was raised a little Mormon girl. No one ever taught me that this was anything to strive for. Right. And that's because your mother was trained the same way. So it was a, it was a, it was a generational pattern being landed down to you. So yes, you, you've amazingly had the transformation you've had, but it, there's no blame here because you just were raised that environment. So you learned the way you did because that's unfortunately most women haven't had the training from their parents, how to be fully independent and autonomous and have all their needs met before they find a guy. And that's the reason why so many women have been trained to be codependent. Like when they find the man to save them, the knight in shining armor, that whole. Yeah. Yeah, don't get that. <laughs> well, we're definitely coming back for another episode for sure. Yeah, thank yeah. you for saying that. I think that we're maybe in the first and second generation of this this trend of women being self-reliant. And I do think that healthy men want a woman who can show up for herself so that he can, you know, appropriately show up for her. What yeah. do you think about that? It's an interesting paradigm because, you know, <laughs> men have been raised in a different paradigm, which is they're the ones that be the caretakers, the, the caregivers, sort of thing, where they've got to take care of the woman. And as women have been getting more independent, men have almost, like, to be honest, felt relief from that. Yeah. That we don't have to do that as a duty. We can do it as a choice. Oh, my God. Totally. I that's, can't wait for our next episode. I think what's coming a- to mind is caring for your own physiological and safety needs as a woman today allows you to be more confident and yes. a healthy man wants a confident woman agreed well most men do some men like to control the women but most men want a healthy relationship. that's why i said healthy <laughs> <laughs> the fact that women now have the freedoms they do thank god even though the balance of you know structures in terms of um, pay equivalencies and glass ceiling stuff like that still not resolved completely and the whole me too thing is another conversation as well but ultimately, women are having way more advances, thankfully, in the last 25, 30 years than they ever had before that. Yeah. And so the shift that's coming, and yes, we are moving into another level where women have full autonomy and full equality to men, is something that's been way overdue. 
And it is something where where women have that space because women have it too. When we, as men, you know, have a good job or have a good business and have the revenue and have a place to live and all those things taken care of, we feel more confident. So of course, women feel the same way. It's a human experience. Yeah. And when you do Mm -hmm. those those physiological needs taken care of to a high degree, we feel more secure, more safe, more self reliant. So it's a great thing to do. And then we can move on to these growth needs, which yes, is a it, wonderful thing to do as a couple. Yes, and <laughs> on top of that, is oftentimes it's good to do the work anyway. Don't wait for the relationship to do it because you might meet somebody else on the path as well. So you can both be in the growth path when you meet. Absolutely, 100%. You have to be secure and happy on your own before you can have a a great relationship. I just think what I'm saying, and I think we're going to talk about this a little bit later is I think that there's something to be said about being with someone who encourages you to be like the highest version of yourself or someone who Mm -hmm. you wake up and want to be, you know, the quote unquote, be a better person because of them. And not all relationships do that. I'd say not many, very many do. (laughs) Frankly. Yeah. Oh, I can't wait to get into this. So are you ready to talk about how Maslow's hierarchy of needs shows up in relationships, Barry? Sure. So the first level, physiological, which Barry describes as, you need to have your basic needs met before dating. Food, shelter, clothing, sleep, etc. Seems obvious, but is it? I dated someone last year who was in such poor health and did nothing to solve it you know he's sending me text messages at 3 30 in the morning and then telling me how horrible he feels and so right. you know like he wasn't meeting his own physiological needs right that's the thing is that you can have the basics taken care of like food shelter housing but if you don't get enough sleep if you don't take care of yourselves then how do you expect i mean i know some people look for a relationship and i remember the old story about you know you were to get in a relationship to get fit it's like no get fit then you'd be ready for a relationship but then maintain it once you're there so having self-care practices like getting a minimum amount of sleep that is good like seven eight hours whatever it is for you having a nine hour girl actually (laughs) i've been doing seven for ages and it works for me because i basically i'm i got well because because i got i now thanks to the pandemic because of the closing down of all the gyms and other places i started hiking because that was free and open i could go do that you do like your morning hikes so everyone barry lives in la proper in Culver City, part of LA, yeah. Okay, and he so the- posts ev- almost every day beautiful <laughs> photos from his hikes. And those of us who live in uh, Denver, Michigan, New York, um, where we can't even go outside because I'm afraid that a tree <laughs> branch is going to hit me in the head. Um, I'm jealous. And But also, I think taking advantage of the fact that you live somewhere so wonderful and warm. I appreciate seeing your post because I'd like to think if I was in the same position that I'd really like grab LA by the, what do you call it? The short curlies and <laughs> make it work for me. The thing I want to say though, to that though, is that I, I did it frankly for my own sanity because I need to get out of the house. I've been on the computer all the time. Tonight. So I started going hiking in the afternoons and then I ended up realizing it was getting too hot in the summer when I started doing this a couple of years ago. So I said, okay, I'm going to start doing the mornings. And that became easier because by getting it done in the morning, by the time it got to nine o'clock in the morning, I'd done my exercise. And it was not even exercise. It was just getting air in my lungs, waking up, being more fully present. And yes, I do, you know, burn calories and, and do my exercises and everything else, but it's the self-supportive activity that basically takes care of my needs. 
Yeah. So actually, if you wouldn't mind saying more about how you consider that to be a physiological need, I'd really appreciate it. I'm often encouraging people going through a breakup, please go on your walks. Like, please go outside of the house. Don't just go from work and home and work and home. And so if you can talk about how this really feeds into your bare minimum needs, which I think, would you say that the physiological needs are like the bare minimum? Yeah, because I mean, to add to that little point you just mentioned, um, definitely the Hagen Dust um, breakup experience isn't the healthiest way to go. <laughs> it may taste. <laughs> Look, I give life. everybody a week or two. Do that. <laughs> <laughs> I always I say that I was I was Pringles and red wine when I got divorced. Okay. I had a can of Pringles hidden in my apartment, and um, you know I had this specific bottle of red wine. But after the second week, you know, See, that's time, time to move on. Yeah. <laughs> Well, the reason why I say it's is on the foundational level because physiological is basically the body. It's the things that we do yeah. to make it safe for ourselves to function and to be alive. And for me, part of that is health is part of that because if we're not taking care of ourselves, that body is not supporting us. So what if we do for that? I'm not saying you have to go to the gym or work out two hours a day. I, don't, I haven't done that in years. But to do something that gets the blood pumping and your lungs working and your head clearing is foundational for me because it means that you can then do other things. It means you can function on lucky. Then you can eat healthier or choose the food you get. You can start doing things that are more self-supportive. Those for me are just basic level stuff mm-hmm. or everything else. Yep. For me, I think getting outside and walking in the morning, it is challenging right now in Denver, but it absolutely clears my head. It allows me to think about what I'm doing when I get home for the rest of the day. My circulation is improved. My flexibility is improved. My spine is healthier because that's what flexibility is, full mobility. And so for me, I have to be physically well for the rest to fall into place. Absolutely. Mm. So what do you think is a good way to make sure that you're meeting your own physiological needs? Um, I would say simplest way to be aware of them. I mean, it sounds oh, so simple, yes. but, but having awareness about what you need to take care of, and then it gives you attention to do something about it. You know, if you're sitting at home in front of the computer because you've been there, because that's the way it was in the pandemic, you know, Zoom meetings and everything else. If you're working at home versus working in the office, it can be very easy to not even get out of your sweats or your pajamas and do anything. So be aware of the fact you're doing that. Say, let me make a different choice. Let me put on real clothes to go on Zoom. <laughs> let, me, let me put on, yeah, yeah let me put on some walking Girl, yeah. shower and get dressed, please. Yeah. <laughs> You'll but be amazed at the difference it makes. <laughs> put on some walking shoes and go for a walk around the block. At least do something that shifts your energy because it sounds, again, sounds so simple and it is, but it's cheap and it's effortless in that sense. But it will change your own perspective of your day and it will change the way you look at everything else. So definitely do that. Thank you so much. And just one last question. I know a lot of people yeah. going through breakups struggle with getting enough sleep. Do you have any like tips for that? I just in the moment thought to ask you this. The biggest thing is the more you can work with your emotions, the easier you can be able to sleep. Because the thing is, it's that it's the avoidance of that. Most people when they go for breakups and I did it myself is you just want to bury it and just whine and moan about it. Well, that doesn't help you sleep. You'll sleep just the, it's like sleeping in the sleep of the dead. You just go to sleep without even thinking about it. You don't wake up properly. So to do the emotional work and yes, working with a coach can help. Because as you mentioned about the grief process, when you have a breakup, it's a form of grief. And if you don't acknowledge the grief and try to suppress it, that will make sleeping harder because your body's not in agreement. I actually hadn't thought of that before. Yeah, so having relationships with your emotions, actually accept the emotions, not to flood them, be aware of what's happening. is like your body then goes, oh, thank you, now you get me. So they don't let you sleep more easily. It's not the cure of everything, but it's a step in the right direction. 
Yeah. Agreed. I think for a lot of people, they cycle thoughts and that, and when it has, when it has to do with a breakup, it's about survival and that creates adrenaline in your body. And that is sometimes what prevents people from sleeping well, not always. And so that's why my biggest suggestion is I'm like, throw on something in the background so that you can focus on that rather than these racing thoughts. Yeah. That's a good one too. That's my tip. (laughs) I don't know. Do you watch Frasier? I'm watching years, obviously. <laughs> That's what I put on in the background to fall asleep to. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I don't know. Okay, let's get on with this. The second level, safety and security is more critical. Family challenges, social issues, health, stability. These are things that can negatively affect your relationship. If your partner yeah. makes you feel unsafe, you don't trust them, they don't honor you, what are you going to do? Safety, especially for women, is required first before trust and intimacy works. We're yep. going to probably sit with this one for a bit. So off cool. to you. This is... <laughs> I have a lot to say about it. <laughs> sure you do. It, with working with my clients, this is something that happens a lot because so many women have faced the, the feeling of being violated because their trust was dis- was destroyed because the, the guy cheated on her or abused her or, did, or lied to her, any of those things. Yeah. There's so many ways that men haven't represented themselves authentically that, that men, women feel like they can't trust them. So trust being one of the one of the, need, the hierarchical needs is critical in relationship because if you don't have safety, you don't have trust, you don't have a relationship. How do you into. think that women and then and then we'll get to men. We've got lots of male listeners and like shout out to all of the dudes listening. Yes. But as a woman, I know that this is really important for me. I've done the work. It's crystal clear what I need in the earliest days of seeing somebody. But for someone who is maybe newer on the path than we are, how can a female determine what her safety needs are and then communicate that to a new partner? These are ways to start running things down. It's like, what do you what what do you need to feel safe? I mean, it sounds so simple. Let's yeah. start with that. Also, be aware. I mean, it sounds so crazy. We have a tendency, men and women have this. Women think more than men when you go on dates to fantasize about what the person really is about rather than see the truth. So the challenge is when you go on a date is how do you just sit with who they really are in that moment versus, but we could get married and have kids and the fantasy and all that stuff because that's what we tend to do, <laughs> you know? fantasy? Because if it is. <laughs> <laughs> no, but that's what some people do. I know, I know. So when, when you go on a date, that's what, the reason I, I've been saying this for a long time, and in fact, I was on a, a, a live stream yesterday talking about how she she called it um, a meet and greet, she calls it, with the other co-host. I said, no. I call them coffee dates because you don't want to go on a first date with somebody you haven't met yet. Because in the old days before dating apps and, and dating sites, you meet somebody at a restaurant or at a party or at a bar, and then you go on a date. So you wouldn't go on a True. date blind. So with the dating apps, you meet someone on an app and you say, let's go on a date now. It's like, you don't really know this person yet. You've just seen some pictures and maybe some copy. Maybe you talk once on the phone or texted. So I everybody you do get someone on the phone before you go on a date. It's one of my tips Definitely. for dating online. That's just me. Video chat even better because then you know it's the real person. Yeah, Barry with the hot tips today. Well, I love it. What else is one key thing? Almost every single dating app nowadays has video and audio built in. You don't need to give your phone number out. You don't need to give anything personal away. You can talk to them in the app to verify because there are a lot of scammers and a lot of fakes on the apps. A lot of, I don't know if it's more men than women, but certainly for the women, for safety, back to that topic, and security and trust, you want to verify the person you're talking to is the one in the profile. 
It's so sad, but so true. And I just have to say, I just happened to have been getting caught up with uh, the show Catfish last night. Oh, I've heard about Do you watch this. it, Barry? No, I haven't watched it yet. No. Oh my God. As a dating coach, you really would be well served to watch it. Uh, shout out to Catfish. It's a TV show where people write into the show and say, I've had this online relationship for this number of years. Things aren't feeling right. I'd really like to meet the person. And the hosts bring them together for a face-to-face -face meetup. Whoa. And <laughs> lately there's been more people who were actually who they said they were but it's probably like 25% of the time. The rest of the time, someone completely different than what, what they were appearing to be online. Three times out of four, it's a lie. Yeah, most of the time, yes. And please, everybody, be safe online. Bumble will require you to confirm your identity, which is one reason I, I like Bumble. Uh, but please, 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 please be safe. And also, if someone's really into you and they live in your general area, you should be meeting within a week. If someone lives in your country, you should be meeting within a month. Otherwise, seriously, let it go. Some people are fed by just having a text relationship, which I don't yep. think that some, everybody gets, but that really feeds people. A lot of people just enjoy texting and having a pal. And if you're mm -hmm. in, in it for more than that, have the in-person meeting. And if someone refuses, walk away. Don't know how right. we got on this tangent, but. <laughs> <laughs> Safety and security, I think is what we've gone on this one. We're talking about foundational things here. And yeah. knowing that the other person is real. I think for me, it's a boundary thing. I have very specific boundaries that I think are clear. And like I already said, basic. And I do not beat around the bush with them. And so I build trust and therefore safety with someone over time when I see that they're taking that seriously. And especially considering that I put this all out there in the beginning, when there's a violation, it does, it, it breaks things. And you don't feel safe. You don't know what to expect with someone when they can't respect your most basic boundaries. It's true. And boundaries is one of those pieces that, to be honest, a lot of people don't get very well. They, they, okay, they, so maybe they, we should stop and talk about that because it's such a hot topic. <laughs> so, like, what yeah. do you think a boundary is? How can people determine what their boundaries are? And then how can people communicate this in the early days of a relationship? Well, boundaries have a spectrum of what they are. But for me, boundaries are important because they define who you are. They define what you're about. And if you meet somebody and they don't respect you or respect those boundaries, that's not good for you to be around that person, first of all. Secondly, boundaries are really where you know that you are okay with things in a relationship. For example, you might have boundaries about certain, like monogamy versus polyamory, for example. Mm -hmm. Your boundary is that's, a, that's, my, that's also my requirement in a relationship. Some of the boundaries and requirements fit together. And so it's like bringing the camera into sharp focus. When you have clear boundaries, you can be seen more clearly. When you have boundaries, you can be kind of fuzzy. Yeah. And some people in relationships don't have very good boundaries, and so you don't know where they really stand on things. It's almost like, what's your position in life? We don't know because they don't have any boundaries. Something that immediately comes to mind for me as far as knowing who I am, I really want my Sundays to be for me. I like to relax on Sundays. I like to prep for the week. I like to get lots of extra sleep. I like to just think about my life, look at my goals. And so, and I communicate that to the people I'm, I'm dating because it's the weekend and you know people want to hang out and do things. 
part of the reason why I have this Sunday boundary is because my business is so important to me. My sleep is so important to me. My goals are so important to me. And so by setting this boundary with people, you are like really getting a glimpse into what Janice is all about, I suppose. <laughs> Can you relate to that? Yeah. My schedule is actually very flexible. So I don't have so much of a boundary that way, but I do have boundaries about where I, where I spend my time. Boundaries that I, I only go to, to big events when I get, when I know I'm going to meet some people I want to connect with because connection is my, one of my high values. So if I go to an event just to be in the energy, it's like, nah, not going to do it for me. I went to last night to a, a clubhouse in a, a real life meeting and I almost left at one point because it's so noisy. I couldn't hear myself think and I couldn't hear the other people. And then I finally discovered some people had found a corner to go into where it was a lot quieter. I went, oh, I can continue here because my boundaries are, I value my time to want to go out to meet people. I want to connect with them. So I don't want to just go out with anybody. So oh. I choose to stand as that way. Well, considering that I'm hoping to get you to my next LA party, I will keep that in mind in my marketing. <laughs> Good. <laughs> um, do you, would you feel comfortable like saying what another one of your kind of like basic boundaries in dating is? I think that it's helpful sometimes to come on here and tell people like practically speaking what they are. Another one is for me, absolutely respect my time and never tell me to shut up. <laughs> right. <laughs> and I don't really like to have sleepovers in the, in the middle of the week. See, that's that, that I'm again, I'm flexible. Am I? <laughs> it's, it's <those> boundaries. <laughs> I love um, that for you. I've I'm very type. I don't know. I always refer to it as a type a thing, but I think that it is because I am just like, I really need just like the predictability. I really like to keep to a schedule. I thrive on that. And so, yeah. you know, being up at six every single day, doing something before eight, this is how I produce. This is how I gain my success. And so I want to be with someone who really, really gets that for me. Well, the thing about it is if somebody doesn't respect that boundary for you, that means they don't respect you. So why would you have them in your life? You know? Yes. And I, I love putting it out there, especially in the early days of a relationship when it is all about sleeping over and doing this and doing that and sex. And, and I don't care how excited I am about you. Yeah, <laughs> if it's a Tuesday night, I appreciate you <laughs> heading for the door. <laughs> that's what, But that makes you unusual because most people oftentimes will be very fuzzy on their boundaries when, they get excited about a new relationship and the chemistry oh, no. is all brooks. I got excited and mm -hmm. it's not the best idea. My life is more important to me than any possible relationship. And I'm not going to just toss everything that I have going on for myself out the window because I'm excited about someone spending the night. Exactly. <laughs> what about you? <laughs> I'm in the same boat. I, I joked around about like, you know, if I date somebody and they don't, haven't, haven't, haven't done any work, they're better off being my client than being my date. That's not a boundary. That's just a way I find it works better for me. So for yeah. me, one of the boundaries is <laughs> I want some. I want someone who's who's in the journey of doing their own work and learning to be the better person about committing to their own growth. That's also. I mean, it's interesting to say about boundaries. It's also like a green like a green flag. It's like a requirement for me. So boundaries are more. I would suggest. I'm realizing because I'm I'm conflating the two together. But really, what boundaries is about is what works for me and what doesn't work for me. And having and knowing what those things are is vital for everybody to know what their boundaries are. One boundary, for, I mean, requirements for me is also no addictions. You know, I, I, <laughs> I was going wine. to say that I happen to know that Barry will not date a smoker. 
correct. <laughs> and I'm an ex-smoker, so I can't say it's like I have a thing about smoking. It's just that I don't like it. It doesn't work for me, period. Mm-hmm. That's why I quit. Also, I, I not, I, but if you, if you do drugs, I'm not interested. I'm not a much smoker, frankly, in LA. It's hard to avoid the stuff, but I, don't just, I just don't find benefit from it in that way as much. So, yeah, glass, glass, you know, glass of bottle of beer once in a while, glass of wine every so often, that's fine. That's why I enjoy it. But when we're someone on the same level, somebody plays in the same same way I do, you know, mm-hmm. you don't need yeah. alcohol to enjoy yourself. That's another mm-hmm. another requirement. But I think so. I think we're conflating though boundaries with safety. What would you say makes you feel safe in a relationship? Um, honesty is one of the things. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Okay. Um, integrity, transparency, authenticity. Those values for me are high on my list of what makes it safe because I don't like being lied to, cheated on manipulated, faked out. So safety for me is having someone I can trust to be who they are sort of thing, you know? Yeah, I think for me, when I'm thinking about safety inside of a relationship, especially considering that I can provide all the physiological and safety needs for myself or a lot a lot of them, I yeah. just, I don't want to have to repeat myself. I think for me, I feel really safe with someone when I say something one time and they take it on board and I don't have to continue to reinsert it. I don't have to continue to execute a boundary. It's remembered. And it just like kind of becomes a part of the relationship rather than me continuing to say, I want to be in bed at a certain time. Like, I don't want to go out like, you know, any, anything that I've said, that's important to me. Well, that's, that's part of being respected and and having integrity. So yeah, absolutely. Keep part. All right. Well, we're going to take a quick commercial break. And then when we come back, we're going to talk about the next two levels, which are love. Oh, three levels. Oh, okay. We're going to make a really quick commercial break. Love and belonging, (laughs) self-esteem and self-actualization. Welcome back, everybody. (laughs) Barry, this is so much fun. Do you feel safe and secure? Absolutely. (laughs) All right. We have three more levels of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. We are relating them today to dating and relationships. The third level is love and belonging. This is where many fall down as they place this need on their future partner. Ah, I love this, Barry. He's the one who wrote this, everyone. This level of love and belonging is more about social friendships, family connection, etc., Build these first and relationships become more available. I was so thrilled when I got your notes because so many of my clients, so many of my friends, so many of the people out there really have this idea that the relationship comes first and the rest falls into place. Whereas I think your relationship with self comes first and the rest falls into place, whether or not, you know, you end up being in a romantic relationship you can kind of, you know, take it or leave it, but you're going to be happy either way. So talk to us about love and belonging as a human need. There's the fantasy people have where they'll sit at home and hopefully someone's going to come knock on the door, be their person, you know, person in their dreams. It might be the US person, UPS person, but probably not. So <laughs> yeah, That's a, like know. everything that a porno is created about. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm I'm hoping for this if that's what that's what your fantasy is. <laughs> but what I'm saying is is the fact is that some people don't realize that they need to have a life. Some people don't realize they have to have a life, meaning that they wait till the relationship shows up before they have a life. Like you were saying, relationship before everything else. Like no, relationship is really 
the I must say it's the gravy, but it's certainly the piece that you can have once your life is working. Like you were saying before about having your life be self-sufficient in that sense, about having the foundational pieces built. For me, socialization, having friends and, and family connections, family is a different topic because it can be challenging for some people, I know. We're but having family today. Right. But having friendships and social interactions, first of all, gives you it's like they use the term sharpening the sword. It's like it's a refining process for ourselves when we get to meet friends and have connections because not only does it make us a better social person, so it's better when we do meet somebody, but secondly, you don't know if the person you're supposed to meet is one of their friends. Yeah. So yeah. so getting out in life and having social circle is a healthy thing because it also gives you a place for discourse, for education, for, for interaction, for having sounding balls to bounce ideas off of. All these things are so useful to have and you don't have to wait for a relationship. One thing I'll switch gears to slightly because of something I learned from the masculine work I did with David Data in his book, The Way of Superior mm -hmm. Man, chapter seven, I remember this chapter vividly, says a man's purpose must come before his relationship. And that teaching point, which is a really short chapter, spun me on my heels. Because up to that point, this is back in 2006, I thought relationship came before everything, like we were saying just now. And so when I have a relationship, I would give up my friends, I would give up, I would focus on my work. I'd be so caught up in the relationship, I'd be depleting everything else and so i learned during that time my lesson for myself was to clarify what i'm here for which is why i do the work i do and then if i have a relationship that's great but if i don't have a relationship that's great meaning that i don't need one to live my life fully mm -hmm. and i'm actually taking it a little bit further because of my own work with my spiritual work as i said that basically for a man relationship to spirit comes first then his purpose in the world then his relationship not in a hierarchy of needs but in a real reality is that the focus of energy for relationship to spirit and the focus of energy in relationship to purpose doesn't belong in your relationship with your partner. Yes, you can have a spiritual relationship, but it belongs in its own energy. And frankly, I've learned because I did this the wrong way. When I'm with a partner, I put all that stuff on top of her. It sucks for her. So social circles, friendships, being out in the world and doing your life, doing your work, doing your mission in the world are vital to do first because it's like having, it's like almost saying, I can take care of myself and my life is full. And if someone shows up, great, they can add to that. Yeah, I, it's just bringing to mind something really random that you're probably going to have a chuckle over. So yeah. when I, I was raised a Mormon, and there was this whole thing about the candy cane over Christmas and the word joy. And we were always taught that joy meant Jesus first, others second, and yourself last. And I just think looking back, I'm like, it's that's so out of whack, you know, with what actually <laughs> makes a person happy. I'm not saying anything bad about Jesus, but it's like the fact that others would be second and then at the very bottom would be yourself. And I'm right. such a big proponent of put yourself first and the rest falls, falls into place. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So I think there's two questions here. First, how can you provide love and belonging for yourself? And then how can you communicate your love and belonging needs in a new relationship? Or do you even need to? I don't know. I mean, like, are any of these things that we must require of someone else? That's the thing is, is you know, love, yes, we talk about self-love, self-relationship, which you said, put yourself first. Absolutely, I agree with that. Um, belonging is really a different topic, and it's really for the people who you belong with, that you connect to. It's not something you need to talk about or advertise or market. It's more of just having those, it's really cultivating that with your friends. Like, yeah. really intentionally choosing a few people that you really feel comfortable with, again, you build trust with, you have safety with, and you have comfort with, that are friends. And in a way, it's training wheels for a relationship because you've started putting in place the boundaries, 
and the trust and the safety that you want to have in a relationship as well. So I don't necessarily need to communicate in the relationship, but having one makes it easier to have the other, I'd suggest. Yeah, I think so too. Also finding someone who doesn't want to change you, finding someone who really just respects and honors and appreciates your core essence and also not, you know, so I think that sometimes something that I've experienced is people have like a fantasy of me rather and kind of hold that up as what they're trying to have the relationship with rather than actually getting to know me and having a relationship with that actual person most people tend to create fantasies of their future partner because they don't see the person as they really are mm-hmm. and partly part of it's because the person who, who is there doesn't always tell them who they really are so there's a bit of both sides of that yeah. but the thing is oftentimes we go on a date we'll see somebody i mean just the dating apps the profile pictures you you build the image on that person versus who they really are. When you see them in person and they've got a few more lines or a bit more gray hair or the body's not quite the same shape, it's like they violated their fantasy. I love doing this on a Friday afternoon. I feel really revved up and ready to go for the weekend. <laughs> so the fourth level, as outlined by Maslow's hierarchy of needs, self-esteem. I thought mm-hmm. that this was really Interesting that this is included as one of the top levels in a person's needs, as outlined by this man, and that is self-esteem, which includes confidence, achievement, respect of others. It is required before dating. If you don't feel confident in yourself, really, like, what do you have to offer? And Barry says, confidence is tempting to fake or to carry with bravado. Yet true confidence is fueled by true vulnerability, which is attractive. This is so true. So what led you to describe it in these terms? Because I learned what vulnerability was. I went through this experience years ago where I thought I had to put it all together and put on a brave face and be like tough and make myself confident. But it's like an an eggshell. It had no strength to it. It was just a look. And when I discovered when I finally let down all the walls and became totally transparent and vulnerable and wide open to people, they trusted me. And that that recognition that my power came through vulnerability was the greatest confidence I had because when I was being vulnerable, I was I was true to myself. I had nothing to hide. I had no, nothing to protect. And I, just be, I was just able to be real. And that was the confidence-building activity because there was nothing to fake. Was there a turning point or a time where you felt like you had gotten there? I think, especially as a man, we don't provide the space in society for men to do this. Well, the th- the thing about, well, this is the thing about confidence is that for men, especially, we've had this presentation that to be, to be confident, we have to be successful. And for some people, success me having all the accessories and the material stuff. But the problem is all that material stuff can go away in a heartbeat. You know, a friend of mine's house burnt down during the Malibu fires. Now she has been living in a caravan for three years because of that. Oh. Somebody else I know had a, had a tree fall down in the car during the recent storms. Mm-hmm. So your physical stuff isn't guaranteed to last forever. So confidence can't be based on that, first of all, because stuff will happen. Life tends to do that. And confidence is definitely an inside job, so to speak, but it's not a, I'm going to be confident, I'm going to be bravado by doing affirmations and that sort of stuff. No, confidence is really just, in a way, get back to the beginning, trusting who you are. The thing is, I believe that we are being in spiritual teachings that we're spiritual beings having a human experience. That premise for me means that every one of us is divine. How we present ourselves is a choice point. So when we are owning our confidence, 
it's about recognizing the value we have as being a person of spirit, a person of reality, a person of truth. And that's unshakable in a sense. So self-esteem is one of the growth needs. So therefore you have to have fulfilled the deficient needs first in order to get to the growth needs. So what would you say for you was like, did you have an experience in your life where you felt like you had fulfilled your deficient needs and were on this path? I mean, for me, I already said it was this very specific time in my life when I was in Australia hitting rock bottom that I got to this point and I, it, I can just pinpoint even like moments where I knew that I was getting there. Did you have a similar experience? Not life inflicted. No, I should before that I've been in the personal development field since the early, since the mid eighties. And I know certain events along the way, certain seminars I was at or retreats I was at or experiences I had that were pivot points for me to know myself in a way that I never known myself before. How and those do you were the- like even want though to get to that point? I think what with you, something I've always been curious about is just like you don't, maybe you work, but it just, it just feels like people aren't born this way. No, <laughs> but, okay. And maybe for you it no. was. I was I was raised in a very you know, working, class, working class family in England, very stoic. Um, no emotion, very sort of suppressed English family, you know, Jewish English uh-huh. family. I was bullied in high school. I okay. came out of high school feeling very vulnerable and very weak and not being very confident. So I did come from a place where I wasn't who I am now, in a sense like that. I had the opportunity to change my geographic location because I was in, back in then I was in computer programming back in the, in the early days. And I worked in Europe for a few years. And so I don't want to go somewhere with this book, English, and it was nice and sunny, hence LA. Came to LA. Oh my God. Wow. <laughs> you know, yeah. your mind must have been blown coming. Where were you living in England? Not that it matters. It's all outside, outside London. Me. Yeah. No, it was, it was, it was definitely going from gray London to sunny California was definitely a different tradition. <laughs> oh. The thing was, is that I know now there was a master plan behind the scenes I didn't recognize because I just came out because I wanted to come somewhere it was nicer weather. And once I got my green card, which is about a year and a half later, I was working with this guy in the aerospace industry. We we're both contractors making money and stuff like that. And we used to meet for breakfast down in the basement of the building before we go to work. And so this was a, I vividly remember, it was a Thursday morning. He came in looking hungover. And I'm like, you got a party last night? And and he said that basically he went to the seminar. I said, what is the seminar? Well, you know, with no idea. I said, basically it's this workshop that goes for like, you know, three nights and for two days. It, there's some great information you learn. There's some cool people and there's some cute women. And I said, where do I sign? <laughs> Seriously, cool, that's cool people and cute women. That's yes. what got me in the door. Seriously, <laughs> he didn't he didn't enroll me. He didn't sign me up, but he got my attention, and that's what it took. Because the thing is, I look back now, and and, and I've been on the say, been in the personal development field for forty years almost. If I look back and told my younger self what I'm doing now and why I would have got here, I wouldn't have believed any of it. Yeah, yeah. Writing a book, going through transformation journey, being becoming a coach—that was not my radar back then. I attribute my journey and my growth to the to the life affirming experiences I've had along the way, mostly in seminars, sometimes outside, but mostly in those environments where I was in the growth crucible. Want a better word? Thank you. I've always been curious, and I look forward to uh, learning even more. As far as being in a relationship and self esteem, I think what came to mind, and and the note that I wrote here is as far as a need goes feeling appreciated Mm -hmm. by your friends, by your partner, by the people around you, I think it has to go into confidence, achievement, and all of these things. 
But still, at the end of the day, I think that a fully self-actualized person doesn't require this from someone. I think that kind of in my case where I come from a large family and I don't think anyone gives two shits about anything I've ever accomplished in my life. (laughs) I'm still just as happy as can be. Whereas someone else who hadn't perhaps fulfilled the last piece on their own might feel downtrodden, might feel anchored by that. Yeah. Well, because a lot of us are externally referenced so to speak yeah yeah we we value ourselves based on on the job we have or the way somebody talks treats us or our relationship partner or the amount of money we make or whatever that is we use outside reference points to value ourselves which is an error in approach i said earlier you know you can get all the material stuff but it can go away in a heartbeat you know an earthquake or a mudslide you never know what's going to happen so the inside work the real work is to be valuing yourself and and having self-esteem that is really rooted in valuing who you are authentically not to be bravado or ego-driven, but to revalue who you are. Barry, we're to the last need in the original five needs as outlined by Abraham Maslow's hierarchy of needs. And that is yeah. self-actualization. And I've been excited to talk to you about this. <laughs> so I, I'm going to read what you wrote. Morality, creativity, acceptance, inner alignment, potential, purpose. This is the good stuff. Yes. Mm -hmm. Everybody keep working because this is where the two of us are at. And seriously, life is like a bowl full of jelly that just came to me, but that's how I feel about my life. When a person achieves this in their lives, they become self-supportive and self-accepting and very attractive. They accept both themselves and others. They don't lose themselves in relationships and situations. They don't act in a codependent way. Right. I'm just going to pass it off to you. It's really, it's where the good stuff is. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is, I, I say it makes you more attractive because when you are fulfilled and living a life that is full of joy, of celebration, of service, of kindness, of excitement, of celebration, of purpose, of mission, all these different things, you can't help but feel happy about it. You can't help but feel fulfilled yeah. by it. You can't help but feel loving about it. So you become more attractive. Now, you've got to be careful sometimes. You've got to watch the people who like, you know, want to latch onto you because they don't want to do the work themselves. But I also think being self-actualized, you're able to be aware of that. Well, that's the thing. Mm-hmm. When you're self-actualized, in this sense, you are really more discerning about life itself, which is one reason why life is going better, because you, t- you say no to things that don't work for you, including people. Mm-hmm. And having discernment means you generally are more aware of those people who are looking to pull from you rather than people who add to you. So let's talk about you completely. The presumption of that is how romantic it is. It means that somebody needs me to make me feel whole, which is an illusion because none of us are incomplete. We're all whole. We forget that. And so rather than doing the work ourselves to fill up our own battery first and become self-sufficient, we think someone else is going to make up the difference. And then relationship becomes in, incomplete because a relationship is not 50-50, it's 100-100. That's it in my book. When you're together in a couple, the relationship is bigger than both of you bigger than that because of the energy you produce or the impact you make in the world or the the way people around you get so lifted up by it yeah that is where the whole is greater than some of the parts mm-hmm. what do you yes. think it means to be self-actualized barry first of all it's the simplest thing of all is being totally self-aware mm-hmm. we could do well in the world if we all look at ourselves in the mirror honestly and integrity not judging not blaming not criticizing not labeling but actually seeing ourselves for the people we really are 
Because first of all, that will stop us comparing ourselves to other people unfavorably. We will start respecting and valuing who we are. We also then become more of a contributor to the world because we're adding value to being people around us. So for me, that self-actualization is finally getting home to going, this is the home I live in for the whole life. I value this. I appreciate this. and I'm taking care of this. And we talked at the beginning about, you know, physical exercise, that sort of stuff. We don't do it to get fit. We do it to take care of this vehicle that we're wearing. And so self-actualization for me is a way of life. It's a, it's a, a way of being a contributing member of society that is not a cog in the wheel, but is an additive influencer in a way that makes a difference in a positive way. Mm-hmm. And I think as far as this need inside of a relationship, if anything, being with someone who encourages you to be the best version of yourself. But I, I think what I'm wondering at the end of this episode is, is this anything actually having to do with needs that you can possibly get from another person? Or is this really a discussion about fulfilling them all on your own before you even bring in another person? Because well, I don't think there's been one time that we've said another person is required to fulfill this need, which actually right. kind of makes me happy. Well, yeah, but at the same time, like I said about Gestalt, about being the greater peace, is that when someone comes into your life, that is going to be your cheerleader as you're going to be their cheerleader. Both of you thrive more powerfully. Not that you can't do it without them. Just amplifies your abilities, amplifies your self-esteem, amplifies your trust in life. Would you say that you were ever like happier in a relationship than you were at your most happiest point as a single person? Hard to compare because of different times in my life. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> same. But I think that we in society, we build it up to be like, oh, you have no idea how happy you can be until you're with another person well, but well like, the thing is about- no, no idea how happy you're gonna be or excuse me no idea how happy i'm gonna make you that's the trap oh <laughs> yeah yeah i guess you know? you're right uh-huh oh so interesting well um <laughs> wow i have so much to say i think as far as self-actualization goes i would just encourage everybody if you push play on this episode today because you're going through a breakup for whatever reason and you happen to be single, regardless of the reasons of what what brought you here, take advantage of this time. This yeah. is where almost everything that we talked about in this episode happens. And that is without another person. Do not let yeah. this time go to waste. A lot of people do not get the opportunity to start over. Take it, grab it by its horns, and you have no idea the magic that is about to fall into your entire life if you can take these one by one do them for yourselves yeah that's quite a homework task but it's worth it well you know what (laughs) hit me up this is what my coaching is about something in my early coaching journey uh, I was working with a man and he was just saying how desperate he was to get his breakup behind him so that he could be in a new relationship. And he was telling me all about it. And he, you know, it was kind of my turn. And I, and I just said like, why do you want that? Why would you even want that? And he said, it's just so damn lonely. Not only did it break my heart, it just made me realize so much the potential to become your own best date, become your own best partner, and also what we must do in this world 
to overcome these feelings of loneliness and what we characterize as voids in our life, because Mm -hmm. this was someone with so much potential who it's like his potential was out here. And all he was worried about was, you know, this like little bit of his life here. And if, if he could have just like, let go of that and let the rest of it flow in, it would have been wonderful. And in the end, it actually was, and you can provide all of these things for yourself and another person who can also provide all of these things for themselves is going to be attracted to you. And then who knows what the hell can happen? (laughs) (laughs) I didn't mention this in the intro, but I would love you to tell everybody about your book and then I'm going to let everyone go for the day. So my book is called 50 ways to love your lover, which is everything. um, it's not a, if you want the kinky stuff, you go to Fifty Shades of Grey. Fifty Ways to Love Your Lover <laughs> is about fifty principles of healthy relationships for men and women, and it's a really, in a way, very elegant, but also very simple teachings for each of the fifty elements that will really make your relationships better in life. Where can people find your book? And especially considering that a lot of my listeners are single, why would someone maybe want to go and download or order it for themselves now? Because the book is not about relationships per se. It's about how are you in relationship. So it's about your relationship with yourself, about your relationship with the world, about your relationship with other people. So it's a good time to read it whether you are in a relationship or you're single. It's It's good for everybody. It's one of those books that is a one book serves all, so to speak. (laughs) Love, love, (laughs) love. Yeah. And you know what? And this just brings up another point. If you are single, this is the time to learn about being a better partner in the future. If that is what you sincerely think that you want. Barry, thank you so much. Thank you for your friendship. Thank you for all of your wisdom. Thank you to my listeners for being here today. If you liked it, go and leave me a five-star rating and review. And I'll see you here. Same time, same place next week. (laughs) Thanks for having me. Bye. Bye. (laughs)